Welcome back to podcast number five. I'm Larry Casilla from AmmoNYC.com, and you're listening to Drive and Protect on iTunes. We are uh, moving along really, really well, and this episode is uh, is really good. So um, full disclosure is I actually um, recorded some sessions with uh, our guest today, which is Scotty Perkins from Scotty Shine Shop in London, Ontario, and the sessions were unbelievable. It's un- really, really great information from a man who has 20 plus years of business knowledge plus you know my 10 12 years of business knowledge and we just go back and forth and sort of give the inside track for someone who's thinking about starting a business is it the end all be all by all, you know no means is it but it's something to get you uh, you know thinking about uh, starting your own business so we'll hop into that in a minute but uh, I want to start off uh, and and encourage everybody to watch tomorrow's episode but uh, who knows when you're downloading this, but at the very least, look at Drive Clean, and we did a barn fine episode, which is a Porsche 912, and what was cool about it was it was right in the middle of filming, um, so we didn't really have a whole lot of script going on. It was uh, uh, a dear friend and, and uh, you know a marketing, uh, a marketing guy in, in the car world. His name is Roger Garbo, sweet, sweet uh, heart of a guy. And he found this car, and we wanted to prep it, and we said, hey, it might be great to put this on the Drive uh, Clean series, and we did. So that's coming out tomorrow, and I'm really excited. Lots of editing, and it's a pretty long video, but it just it's fun for uh, you know a crazy Porsche person like myself um, to, to watch these videos. So anyways, check that out. Uh, and this weekend, we also uh, hosted a, an event at... Um, a Porsche museum in Brookfield, Connecticut, and a bunch of guys came up from everywhere, from Atlantic City to New Hampshire, uh, Pennsylvania, Albany, um, and I want to thank everybody. I'm sure most a lot of guys who showed up are also listening to the podcast, so thank you, thank you, thank you. That was fun. Also, want to thank Dr. Gish, who had um, just an amazing event set up for us to walk around and see his personal collection of Porsches. Um, so uh, if you want to see that, it's uh, autocrib.com. Uh, and you can see all the uh, the cars that he personally has. It's it's off the charts. It's unbelievable. This guy has amazing. It's a like legit museum, um, and he doesn't really you know open the doors too often. And he did it for us, and I'm very grateful for that. So, moving on, today's topic is really kind of a business theme, and we like I said, we're barely scratching the surface here. So we're gonna have lots of other podcasts on uh, just particular niche aspects of that business world, but. You know, I really wanted to talk to people about the massive difference between a weekend warrior, which is totally fine, and a business person, which is totally fine. But they are vastly different thoughts. Um, so we're going to do that with Scotty. So I'm going to this this first section is going to be short and sweet because we spend uh, a whole lot of time. And I just want to let it roll uh, with Scotty because it was just tons of information. You guys are going to you know finish the podcast and go, wow, that my brain is is overflowing. So uh, our first little section, our topic of the day is going to be steam machine versus hot water extractor. Now, if you are someone who's on the forums and keeps uh, keeps up with all the news in our little weird world, you know, this is kind of a hot topic. And I want to talk about the differences between the two of them and figure out, hey, is one better than the other? Uh, is it is it better to have two of them? Or let's say, you know, what business are you in? So why don't we dive right into that? So a steam machine, the one that I use is the VX5000. I think it's a great machine. Um, and, you know, I just tell you, you guys know, I just tell you the way it is. It's a little annoying because it takes 
12 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on, you know, how many amps I guess you're running out of the wall. But it takes like 12 or 15 minutes to start up. Not the end of the world. So when I arrive on, uh, you know, at a, at a location or what have you, and I know I'm doing something, I plug that in first before I grab out all my other tools or, you know, grab a sandwich or whatever I'm trying to do. Because I know it's going to, you know, heat up. So that's, that is what it is. Um, I think the steamer itself is and you have to get it with the cart too by the way because if you don't get it with the cart it's extremely sensitive and if you step on um one of the hoses it kind of causes some issues so get the cart if you're going to do that um and it's a good machine it's actually a great machine at what it does now this is the big difference between steam and hot water extractors there's you can hear it in my voice there's so much for me to talk about that i sometimes don't even know where to begin and it's hard to do it without my hands flailing around and being on camera but the steam machine is great for, in my opinion, it's great for getting into areas where you don't want to lay down a whole ton of water and you need the pressure. So a lot of these machines, especially the VX5000, but I can't speak to the other ones, have about 65 to 70 PSI of, which isn't a whole ton of pressure, but it's enough, it's enough PSI to kind of kick things out, meaning in the cup holders, which is unbelievable, you know, really, really great around buttons and things. So you're not going to put down a whole lot of of, uh, of moisture. And obviously when you're doing, let's say, buttons around a radio, you're not going to just, you know, hold it there and squirt water into it, you know, for 10 minutes. So it's, in my opinion, it's very safe. And I like, I like getting into the tight areas with it in between the seats, um, heating up the seats so that it helps release, uh, especially leather. So there's some, I guess what I'm saying is there's some applications where the steamer just can't compete with the hot water extractor, but at the same time, the hot water extractor can't compete, uh, you know, with leather sometimes. So I, like I said, I, I use the steamer on particular, uh, leather pieces or in between tight areas where the hot water extractor just can't reach between the seats, like literally in the, the seat tracks, or you can't use a hot water extractor on a leather seat. You, you know, you'd be a little bit of a crazy person if you did that. So the point of what I'm saying is there's, they're two very different machines, and uh, a lot of the debate that I see out there, and I know that sounds funny, but at least everybody listening to this podcast, at, at the very least, um, is a detailing nerd. So there is, we all know there are debates between the two of them that it's hard to compare. You're not comparing apples to apples. Where, where it becomes uh, a crossover where people say, is it one or the other, is when you're talking about carpets, I believe. But even so... I just don't think there's a comparison that the the hot water extractor is significantly better when extracting or cleaning carpets. It's just the fact. It's the end of end of story. That's just the way it is. So, m- sort of my overall uh, suggestion, I guess, would be uh, to have both of them. And okay, great. You, you know, you have you have two of them. But before I even get into that, think it's it's vital to figure out what it is that you're doing. Meaning, what what is your business? Are you a high volume shop? Are you a low volume shop? Are you a super duper high end detail shop? Wh- where are you? Are you weekend warrior where you're just trying to do, um, you know, the best you can to make a few dollars? And all these, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just um, sort of like assessing a car. You just don't do step one, step two, step. Three. You have to assess it and figure it out. And what's your goal? And ba 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 ba. All these kind of things. So um, sometimes when I read these debates online about steam versus hot water. There is no right answer because it's different for every every person. So here 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 we go. This is this is my sort of determining factor. If you're a high volume shop 
What does that mean? Uh, Scott is in the next little section. Scott is going to talk about that a little bit. But high volume shop is one that pushes through a lot of cars, a lot of um, high end details, but also has dealership work. Dealership work means um, you're going to be uh, required to do cars at a faster speed for a lower uh, compensation, meaning not retail. Usually you have a wholesale account. And you got to turn and burn is what we call it. You got to move quickly and you have multiple guys in your shop. In my mind, that's a high volume shop versus a low volume shop that takes maybe one car a day or which is a lot or one car a week kind of thing. So I'm sort of in that kind of territory, but I'm going to throw another monkey wrench into it. What about your mobile guys? So you can also have a high volume, a semi high volume, volume, uh, mobile guy and you you can also have which is even rarer which is a mobile guy who's low volume which is really what i am so i mean i used to own a shop and and have a high volume uh, sort of operation but i wanted to you know i i basically ran that for years and i, I can't say this any nicer but basically cherry picked all the the best clients and converted them into mobile because there's lower overhead so we'll have a whole other topic of mobile versus fixed-based operation. But for this purpose, the point that I'm trying to make is steam versus hot water, the, the first determining factor should be what business are you? So, you know, if you're high volume, I highly, highly recommend a hot water extractor because you need to shampoo it. You need to do it much faster than a steamer is going to do. Um, if you are uh, more of a, you know, exotic car and fancy old car or you know vintage kind of thing and you're a lower volume slower pace uh i would recommend the steamer so that's sort of where my thoughts lie but it's not it's still not one or the other um in my opinion if you're going to be a professional you need both of them uh, because different situations require different things so for example if something spills on you know an afford explorer in the back in the back little trunk area, you know, it becomes more difficult to steam something because you then have to have a, um, a wet vac, which every detailer, by the way, should have. That's mandatory. You got to have a wet vac. But, um, you know, it, call, it, it makes for multiple things. I mean, you got to steam it first, kind of get it hot, uh, and then come back in quickly and, and extract it. Now, can you do that? Absolutely. Is it efficient? Mm, I'm not sure if it's efficient. But in the first instance, what I was talking to you before about the guy who's the weekend warrior kind of slash business guy who, you know, does his neighbor's cars and stuff, then go, go with the cheaper option and you're going to have to do a little bit more manual labor, but you know, you'll save, you'll save some money. So that's kind of the, that, I mean, we're, we're really being broad here. So I, you know, roll with me a little bit, but that's sort of my opinion as to the difference between the two of them. I think there's a few things you need to keep in mind when you're, you know, deciding whether to, uh, you know, what, what to buy in terms of the hot water and, and what to buy with the steamer and, you know, spending money on these things is important to you because, you know, you're going to be in the thick of things. And if you buy hot water extractors that are cheaper, they cause a lot more problems. So let's, let's dive into that part a little bit deeper. The hot water extractor I have is a mighty light. Uh, and that's because I am mobile and I think it's the mighty light too, actually, but, uh, it's about 800 or $900. There are issues, uh, you know, I've had big ones before, like the big monster, I forget what the Colossus, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, 1800 bucks or whatever they are. There's a big difference between um, 
between the, uh, the the prices, I think of of the big one and the small one, uh, and I prefer the small one because I'm mobile. And a lot of the issues that I run into are that the pumps blow on those, and those are the things that generate the uh, you know pushing out the water. And there's another sort of uh, you know vacuum aspect of it where it, it sucks up or it it you know basically consumes the water. And you want and you want to watch those rates. Um, and obviously with the bigger one, you have way more CFM and uh, even higher temperatures. So there's things that you need to think about. Is, the, is it an inline heater or is it a different type of heater? Heaters can range from 150 degrees to 210 degrees. And the hotter the water that's generated, um, the better the evaporation rate, which is massive. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and of course, breaking down all the oils and greases and slimes and whatever else is in the, uh, in the carpet you're cleaning. So having that is is very important. Now, come with some of the random things that I've run into is if, uh, you know, with the mighty light, it's a, it's a great it's a great machine, but I it did break down a lot on me, um, and they are very sensitive. So if you treat them improperly, uh, they will come back and bite you. Uh, a lot of the electrical switches broke on mine. Uh, I lost I think a pump or two uh, over that time, and it's very difficult to change those out. At least I found it difficult. So it's almost sometimes for me, it was just like, uh, whatever. I'll just go buy another one because I, I, you know, I'm turning and burning here. I don't have time to, to play games. Uh, another random thing I can think of is sometimes the heater, when it got really, really hot, you know, after a minute or two, uh, you want to hold that trigger and kind of squirt out a lot of the cold water. Um, it gets so hot that the metal that was the, the little, uh, the trigger there and it had the suction on the end of it. Um, got so hot that you couldn't even hold it. So it was great that it got hot, but at the same time, I, I need to be able to hold it. So that was kind of something that jumped out in my mind. And the diff- one of the big differences between the smaller one and the bigger one is just the gallon sizes that it can contain. So you have everything from a 10-gallon as the, as the big one down to a 2-gallon. For me, uh, that wasn't a big selling point for me because I feel like, you know, you could just pop it off and, and dump it out. It takes two seconds to do it. So that that didn't mean anything. With the big one, though, there is uh, you can actually hook up a big pump to it and pull it like you would on a an RV or or a boat or something of that nature, where you can um, suck out and then uh, you know get rid of the uh, the wastewater properly. So that I mean that was kind of cool. But you know some of the things you need to think about are the lift rates. How much water does it suck out? And that's extremely important. But I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. And say, you know, at the end of the day, you can use a bucket with hot water. You can use a scrub brush. You can scrub down everything as, as you know, as hard as you possibly can, I guess, with a little bit of cleaner in there. And then you can vacuum it out. I mean, that that's something that you can realistically do. But again, uh, I think my bottom line here is figure out where you are, meaning high end, low end, high volume, that sort of thing. And then think to yourself, What's going to be the most, you know, cost-efficient or effective way to achieve or, you know, do the job that I'm in, meaning that particular uh, area of, 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 of this detailing world? So for me, I need to have both of them because I think the extractor uh, does things like really for heavy, deep, deep extraction. Now, I don't really use it all that much because my, my weird world, I use a lot more steam. Um, and I, likewise, the steamer is much more versatile. You can use it on engines. You can use it on wheels. You can use it on 
you know, emblems on the outside of the house, outside outside of the house, yeah, outside your house, outside of the car, you can use it on leather and in these, you know, tiny little cracks, um, dashboards. So for me, each of them stands alone so amazing that I it's hard for me to to get wrap my brain around how they can compete um, on the carpet because there is not there's really no way to compete. I know that sounds crazy that I'm saying it, I'm repeating it, but there's no way that the carpet, the hot water extractor, um, in my mind, is a comparison to the steamer when talking specifically about the carpets. So I know we've hammered that home, but there's tons. If you Google search it, there's tons of people going back and forth. Steamer's great for what it does. The the hot water extractor is great for what it does. The one thing that it cr- crisscrosses a little bit is the carpet. Listen, you know, whatever works for you is great. I, I like the hot water extractor. Um, but in, in pinches and when I'm on the road and because I'm mobile, if it's, if it's not that dirty, yeah, I will use the steamer for sure. No doubt about it. So anyways, that's, that's kind of the rundown. We didn't talk about, you know, what makes up the steamer and what makes up the, the hot water extractor. I think maybe that's for another episode or whatever, but it's more important to, I want you to kind of visualize those two machines and just start thinking about it, start researching and start figuring out, Hey, is this in my budget? Is it not in my budget? And again, I, I, I really get not nervous, but I get hesitant of telling, of pushing people one way or the other, because the thing, the, the issue is I don't know what it is that you have, what shop you're doing. And my goal here is to just kind of stimulate your, your, your brain and think about, Hey, where am I? Where am I trying to go? And what am I trying to do? So that's my little, uh, discussion about hot water extractors versus steamers. So let's move into some more business talk with my buddy Scotty. Let's get him on the get him on the line right now. All right, Scotty, you there? I'm here. Hi, man. What's going on? Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. No worries. We uh, when did we meet? We met a while back at the uh, Mobile Tech Expo, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right in uh, Orlando. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was um, I think I I shot a video way back then. Uh, I think I was on the plane and doing all that kind of thing, and I wanted to show people what was going on. And it was a good event to, you know, mingle with with other, uh, you know, professionals. And I think, you know, today's topic, of course, uh, I wanted to talk to you about being a pro and being in the industry. But the one thing I remember, which was kind of funny, you and I were sitting, and I think at that point we had sort of chatted a little bit, but um, you know, I knew of you, but you know, we weren't as close as we are now. And I remember. I think Mike was Mike Phillips. This, when I say Mike, I mean Mike Phillips from AutoGeek uh, was was doing some sort of presentation, and then, or maybe it was Rennie or somebody was doing a presentation, and they said, "All right, everybody, hold your hand up if you've been in business for one to five years and keep them up." So I, I raised my hand, like, "Yeah, that's right, been in business for five years, and keep them up." All right, so if you and put your hands down if you know if if you haven't done this, but all right, been in business for ten years, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's right." I kept my hand up, and a couple people put their hands down. All right, keep your hand up if you've been in business from 10 to 15 years. Now, I've been in business, I think at that time it was 11 or 12 years. So I was like, all right. So I put my hand down like, damn. And then you kept your hand up. And I was like, all right. And there was maybe went from 50 people in the room down to 30 people, now down to like 10. And they were like, who's been in business for 20 years or more? And then it was you. And was it Greg? Was it Greg in that room? I think it was me, Greg, from Classic Appreciation. Yeah. And think Jim Guggen from uh, Jim's Installations in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. He's a good guy, too. And I was like, man, these guys, have, I, you know, that's a long time to be in business. So afterwards, that always stuck in my mind. I was like, 
Man, Scotty's been in business forever. We got to get him on the podcast and, and talk about, um, you know, a few things that uh, relate to being in the business of detailing. You know, a lot of people email and, and call and, and, you know, right off the bat, I sort of have to figure out, hey, is this a weekend warrior, which is totally cool, or is it a business person, which is totally cool? They're, the idea is that they're two separate uh, sort of concepts. Now, when we were talking, you know, before, you know, chatting a little bit before this podcast, you know, something that uh, was brought up, which was I have the same exact feeling, is, is the concept where, you know, you can spend hours and hours and hours detailing a car and making it the world's greatest thing, but... On the flip side, it may not be actually profitable. And since we're talking today about business, business, it's not evil to be profitable. In fact, you know, uh, businesses that I like, I, I hope they're profitable because I want them to be around. I enjoy them. You know, I, I want to use their services or products or whatever it is that they do. And, you know, being profitable is is a good thing. So uh, there is a massive difference between, you know, doing a weekend warrior type thing where, uh, money and time is no no object versus being profitable. So I wanted to grab you and 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 talk about a few things. So one of the first questions that uh, I wanted to shoot across to you is, um, I guess it's a loaded question, is give me your top couple tips for people getting into the business. Now, and before before you do that, give me a little bit about your business, where you're at, how long you've been doing it. Is it high volume? Is it low volume? That kind of, just give me a little, just so everybody kind of knows where we're at. Um, well, I really got into the business kind of by accident. Um, I went to school for broadcasting, uh, decided after school that I didn't really want to pursue that and knew some guys who had a detailing business and ended up an opportunity came up for the shop that I'm in. And I was into it within, I think two weeks, which is ridiculous. And where is it again? London, Ontario, right? London, Ontario, Canada, which is kind of, uh, two hours away from Detroit and two hours away from uh, Toronto, Ontario, which is kind of right in the middle of those two cities. Um, and it's Southern Scotty's, Ontario. what's the Scotty's shine shop, right? Right. It's Scotty's shine shop, which is, uh, who is it named after? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what? The funny part is everyone thought it was my dad, but, um, I opened the business with the, with the help of my father. He, uh, kicked in some money while he was still in banking and, uh, that's we were a up brilliant, running. brilliant thing. You need, you need that. I guess that's one of our topics that we're going to be talking about is funding, it is. but it yes. is. That's good. That's and, good to have backing like that. But go ahead. Right. Uh, but we opened up and uh, we've been doing it ever since. My dad came over and worked with me after he retired from the bank and unfortunately uh, couldn't work anymore after uh, 2001. He, got, he became ill and passed away in 2003. But we've uh, kept going from there and it's uh, gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And the last three years have been really good. That's great. When, when did you first open? Uh, November 3rd, 1993. Whoa. Yeah. So you've been doing this for... It'll be 20 years this year. That's that's incredible. Just to be in business, forget about detailing business, just to be in any business for 20 years is pretty remarkable. But the detailing world, because, you know, there's a lot of shops, shops that open and close, and there's a whole – it's a whole lot of stuff. I don't, I don't know how to say it any broader than that, and that's why, um, you know, a lot of people contact, uh, you know, us over here and, and ask about the, the business world um, with, re, you know, with regards to detailing. So I thought it would be – I mean, we're just going to scratch the surface, so by no means is this the end-all, be-all of how to start a detailing business, but I thought it would be a great opportunity to, to pick somebody's brain like yours who's been in business forever. So give me the – start off with, you know, kind of the basic number one. First thing you need to do, uh, you're sitting there, hey, I want to start a business. What's what's the first thing you think you should do? Well, for me, the most of the people that get into detailing do so because 
it's kind of got a really low barrier to entry with respect to what people think you have to have mm-hmm. uh, with respect to knowledge, training, and capital. Um, so you get a lot of people who, you know, especially now that there's been a proliferation of these detailing how-to websites, um, people think, you know, oh, I, I can do my car on the weekend, so I want to pursue this as a business, and, you know, I don't have to have a shop. I'll do it out of my car or I'll do it out of my driveway. And um, they keep their expenses low and, you know, they think it's going to be something they want to pursue. Um, but the most important thing in my mind that, I mean, I made every mistake in the book and I thought I was doing everything right. Um, business plan, business plan, business plan. Before you even think about opening one of these businesses, you need to do a credible business plan and plan for every single contingency that you could possibly run into because you're going to. Um, no doubt about it. Cause a lot of people, I think when they do a business plan, they, uh, you know, the, the big thing that they leave out is the expenses. Like you put every expense that you could possibly imagine. I remember, I've, you know, you and I have both done this a thousand times and you, and you write the plan. And then without a doubt, I would say between two and three times the amount of expenses that you put into that business plan is what the reality is actually going to be. Oh, at least, yeah. at least. I mean, we were under underfunded when I opened up by, I mean, ten to twenty thousand dollars easily. Um, didn't have the money for the equipment I wanted to buy, and I mean, you really, if you're going to do this on a large scale basis, which is kind of what you need to do in order to make decent money, uh, you have to be able to push some some work through. Yeah, uh, I think I think they say four to six months. I, I don't know if that's like textbook, but at least four months of working capital sitting in the bank doing absolutely nothing ready for you because things are going to happen like that. You know, with, I'm sure you, how many employees do you have now? Um, five, five or six. Wow. So, I mean, just imagine if it gets all of a sudden business slows down and then Scotty's got to be able to pay five people that they, they don't just go away. You know what I mean? You, you gotta, they're going to be sitting there. You gotta, you gotta pay them. So, you know, things like that happen, especially in the beginning. I mean, uh, unless you buy an existing shop or things of that nature. But when you first start and you don't have enough money lying around just for these mistakes or what if people don't find you, what if your advertising doesn't work, uh, that sort of thing, and that really bites you quickly and you're going to be behind the eight ball if you survive at all. So that's um, you know, it's definitely something that popped out in my mind. But anyways, keep going. So business plan, continue. Business plan, having uh, adequate capital. A lot of these, a lot of guys I know that have gotten into the detailing business don't have any money, let alone having you know a line of credit. Um, I know with us, I mean, a line of credit is is huge because we do uh, some work for wholesale side of the industry where we don't get paid, so we invoice on the you know last day of the month, and we won't get paid for two or three weeks after the end of the month for the work we did for an entire month. So during that time, I still have to keep paying my bills, paying the staff for the work that's been done, even though I'm not going to get paid for anywhere from four to six weeks after we actually do the work. So making sure you have adequate capital to keep going. What happens if your extractor breaks? You have to buy a new extractor. I mean, the extractors I buy are anywhere from two to two to twenty five hundred dollars. That's a big. Yeah, that's huge. I'm. I'm sitting here and the vein in my head is starting to explode because I, I just thought of all these things. Um, you know, when you do, uh, we're going off on a tangent, but I think I think people are, you know, picking this up here is when, when you first start off, you want to grab as much uh, volume as you can. So in theory, your shop is a volume shop, you would say. So you're trying to, you know. Uh, we do. We are mostly retail. Um, 
geared towards the public. We do do a fair amount of work for car dealers, but uh, it's not what we pursue as our main business. Mm-hmm. And you know, I hate to use that expression again, but car dealers have always been kind of the low-hanging fruit that guys that first get into the business, they say, oh, there's immediate work there. It's easy. And it's easy to get that work because car dealers just tend to prey on these guys who come in and say, hey, we want your work. Well, what are you going to charge us? And they'll say, well, well, what are you paying? They'll say, well, we're paying, for example, say 75 bucks a car to this guy. And they'll say, well, if you'll do them for less, we'll send you some work until the next guy comes in and does exactly the mm. same thing. It's so uh, You are so right. It's unbelievable. I've Just like you, I've done multiple um, deals with, with dealerships, either guys in the dealership or dealerships coming to me. Now, the upside is it's great if you're in an area where uh, weather fluctuates a lot. So, you know, for our winter detail, sometimes you're just, we're dead, you know, dead in the water because it's got six feet of snow and it's horrible. And then, you know, if you can run a few hundred dollar jobs, I think we were 125, um, but New York is a little different, but 125 for a detail. If you can run those all day, you know, you might be able to break even. But what happens in the middle of summer when you're slammed and you're and you're making profitable, you know, big dollars, um, right. profitable jobs? Well, they still want the business, so you got to push away good money to go after bad. So it's, and then like you were saying before, my vein was popping out of my head. Is in New York, it was sixty days. You get paid on sixty days. So what? I got to float sixty days worth of payroll. Right. So right. You're we're t- very fortunate that we don't have a lot of problems with the dealers that we deal with. Um, the dealers that we deal with are kind of the better of the better detailers who want to deal with somebody who's going to do a good job and is consistent and doesn't, you know, present a lot of problems with them. So we don't have the typical kinds of problems that the guys who get into the business who deal with the guys who kind of really hammer down the prices have, because I've I've seen that where guys will get run 60, 90, 120 days where they won't pay them. And they just... You can't you can't survive doing this. I, no. And you don't want to play that game. If anyone's listening at all and takes one piece of advice to this, do not play the who's the cheaper, you know, detailer game with dealerships. You will lose every single time because just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more will be taken, and you'll get you know even worse cars, and it it's just going to suck up so much of your time. So, anyways, that, we don't have to go in. You can. You can almost hear two uh, two veteran detailers losing oh. their mind a little bit about the dealership world. I think I think we should stop it there before you and I have a, a, an hour conversation about <laughs> what we could do to car dealerships. But um, yeah, I mean, like I, I don't want to not car dealers because we do a lot of work with car dealers. For the sure. guys we deal with are great. Yeah, but I've, I've also dealt with some car dealers that have been an absolute nightmare. Oh no, you got to pick the right ones. It's one out of every five is a good one. I think with a reputation like yours, you probably go in and say, hey. This is how much it costs to get the job done properly. If this is something that you want and you want it done right, you know, we're the guys for you. If you want it done quick and cheap, you know, this, this is not our business plan. And I bet you a lot of guys probably fall to the wayside, which you don't want. And then you keep the really good dealer, you know, dealerships, which, by the way, if you get a car done right, it's still relatively cheap, right? You know, you're, you're getting a good deal because you're doing a volume. But sometimes it, it makes me shake my head. But when somebody's buying a used car, so nine times out of ten, you're either doing a used car or you're prepping a new car, I would imagine. Are you doing preps, new cars? We don't do a lot of new car All preps. Right, so it's, mostly used cars. Yeah, so you're doing used cars. What is, like, the most important thing when somebody comes to see a used Civic or whatever, you know, whatever dealership, Chevy or whatever? When they come and see it, like, the way it looks is, like, 99%. I mean, it, you know, even though it shouldn't be that 
uh, high of a percentage it should be on how it runs and the deal you get. But when somebody first walks up on the lot, you're going to look at the car and see how clean it is. So to I was, you know, scratched my head and was like, well, I don't understand why there's so much downward pressure on making sure that these cars look the way that they should before they get sold. So luckily, I'm sure you have some really good, some good guys that you're working for because I know you wouldn't do anything that's less than, you know, that goes outside the realm of, of what, you know, delivering a good job. So yeah, we have a certain standard that I want to do and I just don't, I'm not interested. I mean, we could do $90. There's guys in my city that are doing $75 full details. And I mean, I could, I could do that, but I mean, you're talking about how much time could I actually invest in a car? And they're usually kind of the really, the really bad ones, grungy cars too, where they need the extra time. And I mean, what can you do for 75 bucks, especially with what the costs are in my municipality where we're forced to start guys at 1025, um, which is costing me about 14 bucks an hour by the time I add all the employment expenses in. So my worst paid employee is 14 bucks an hour. You know, so if I put a guy on a car for three hours, I'm into 42 bucks in labor. So, and that's just one guy. And I would imagine, do do you work, we're going off on a tangent, but this is all important stuff. I'm all, I'm remembering doing all my shop work here. Do you do two guys or do you three guys on a car? How do you work that? Um, normally I just let, well, what the way I do things at my shop is I try and play to people's strengths. Mm -hmm. So I very rarely get a guy in who's good at everything, but I'll get, you know, someone who might be really good at doing interior shampoos or really good at doing uh, wax jobs, or washing cars is kind of their forte. And sometimes you get guys who do everything, right? So what I do is I try and find what people are really good at, and I'll play to that. So if a guy's really good at interiors, that's what I put him on. Gotcha. Because no, nobody's going to be happy you know, doing wax jobs all day if it's not something they enjoy and they're not good at. Plus, I mean, if they're not good at it, you're going to end up paying them for X amount of hours doing work that isn't acceptable. Yeah. So when I get guys in the shop, I try to play to their strengths. Normally I'll put one guy in an interior. Uh, if I get two guys that are good and they really work together and they're productive, I'll sometimes throw two guys on an interior. But normally I like to let them kind of take their time. I give them a set amount of time that I know is kind of reasonable for, for how long it should take an interior to get done. And I'll put one guy on it, let him finish it. He'll inspect it. And then, you know, we'll do our quality control on it and check it again afterwards and correct any problems. If there's anything that was missed, um, and we kind of work that way. I, I don't really ascribe to for the average guy that they're going to be good enough, or they're going to be do where they'll be able to do everything to the set to the standard that I'm expecting that it should be done at. Now, do you have a shop foreman, or are you the shop foreman, or you like how do you phys- like what what is your role in the shop, and how has it progressed over time? Like, did you were you first on your hands and knees like doing the tires and wheels and all that, and then oh, yeah. I mean, for the first two years, I didn't really have a lot of staff. It was just me out there, uh, you know, cranking out every every detail solo. And then my dad came over, and he didn't really work full-time. I mean, he was older. He was in his mid-50s. So he'd do what he did in the shop and kind of handled more of the stuff in the office. And up until probably five or six years ago, I mean, I was out in the shop full-time. But the problem is, as you progress, and there's an excellent book. We, we You and me were talking about this a little earlier off air um, with respect to uh, books that are really good for business. There's one called uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Yep, I have it right and, here, actually. I, I, when we were talking about it, I was like, wait, 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 let me go run and see as I have my... Uh... So is that the book you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, I have it right here. That's actually ironic. It's it's a... It's a, it's a like. Yes, well, yeah, right. 
it's a great book for um i'll say it in one sentence if if you don't mind it's the uh well basically the title says why small businesses don't work and what to do about it okay so what does that mean basically this is what it all sort of boils down to you know if you're really good at let's pick something making cabinets okay you're the world's greatest cabinet maker in no way does that mean you're going to be profitable at it and be a good business person at it and he, this book talks about you know just because you're passionate and love whatever it is you know making dolls or baking cakes or whatever it doesn't really matter and you a lot of people fall down that silo of uh you know failure or mediocrity because they don't actually grasp the business side of it so when we first started this uh you know little interview i wanted to be very clear that you know if you're if there's a weekend warrior and there's no money involved that's just passion and love and i you know what i sometimes love to just do that on my own with my own cars to kind of get that out of my system and then you kind of have to put on a different hat as a ceo or a business owner or the president or whatever you want to call yourself uh and and make sure the numbers are right and that this book that e e myth revisited by uh michael gerber kind of highlights that and it makes a light bulb go off in your mind and say hey i gotta make sure that i am equally as good as a business person as i am a cabinet maker let's say so um that's so funny i thought i thought we were talking about that book beforehand but we didn't actually say the title did we no um and it, <laughs> it was something that i read probably 13 or 15 years ago the original e-myth book um and there's been several more iterations of it um and it kind of talked about and it really struck me that you know i was out grinding out details every day in the shop and neglecting the business side of my business and as a business owner I had to progress to a point where I said, you know what, I can't be effective as a business owner while I'm out doing a job that I could pay somebody else to do. Yep. Provided you can find somebody who's competent to do that job, right? Yes. Um, and running my business is my job. And that's still a struggle for me because I want to get out there and get my hands dirty sometimes and, you know, but I can't be profitable in my business situation if I'm out doing work that I can pay somebody, you know whatever absolutely absolutely i think one of the other things I'm, I'm thinking about i didn't write any of this down but it's all just kind of flowing out in this conversation is is accounting i had i i shouldn't you know i i, I graduated with a degree in economics which is great and wonderful but part of me wish i would have went back and did cpa that's all i do right now is accounting because i feel like if you don't know your numbers or uh you know what we call measuring the met like having metrics like i yes. i have you know, you do uh, metrics to figure out where you are in sales and lots and lots of, uh, you know, different things where I can look at it very quickly and it's what we call our dashboard. So every day you know, my computer opens up, I have a dashboard that does the calculations for me and figures out all the nitty gritty of, you know, my respective businesses. Because if you don't know where you are, you're kind of just flying blind. And I think in the beginning what you were talking about, Scott, is the same thing I did. Got on my hands and knees every single day and, and was out doing the the cars which is great and i still love to do that but i totally neglected the business aspect so it was kind of it's not saying you have to do one or the other it's that you have to at least acknowledge uh where your strengths are and your weaknesses are and you have to acknowledge hey this is something that needs to get done meaning measuring where you are every i'm not saying how many how many cars did i do today and how much money did i made that's a very rudimentary metrics it's more 
you know, everything from sales tax to quarterly, you know, submitting your quarterly sales tax in at least the U.S. I don't know what Canada does, but, you know, and measuring all those things to figure out where you are in, in real time, not just, hey, I took in a thousand bucks today and I paid my guys, you know, 500 bucks. So I made 500. That's not the case because you forgot water. You forgot the power. You forgot the rent. You forgot the unemployment insurance, you, you know, all these things. And at the end of the day, what did you really make? You made, you know, 75 bucks or whatever it is in this example. That that consciousness needs to be, uh, oh, oh, you know, awoken or awake or whatever in people to see that it's not just being, hey, I'm the world's greatest detailer or cabinet maker. That instantly means I can make a lot of money. Right. Does that make, you know, does that come out right, you think, Scott? Oh, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, I've seen guys that are really, really great detailers that just have absolutely no sense for business. Yeah. And they just can't wrap their head around the business side of the detailing business, and they ultimately fail. I mean, detailing as a, as a business, for the, for the most part, in 20 years, I can't even count the amount of guys that have been in and out of this business in my city. And they typically last anywhere from, you know, three to six months. I'd say the vast majority are gone in six months. Yeah. And, and you know why? It's, it's because, and it's a, and it, you know, it's a plus. I'm saying this as a plus. Detailing, I don't have to tell you this. I, you know, I know you so well. That detailing is like addicting. It's awesome. It's this um, instant gratification. It's, uh, it's awesome, you know, being around these amazing cars and, and doing this sort of thing. And you get so sort of like snake charmed, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it's, I, to, to this day, you and I have been doing it forever and I haven't do, done it, you know, as long as you, but pretty long. And I love it every single day. But with those guys who got a business in, in six months or a year, it gets old really, really fast. If you're under pressure financially, um, meaning you didn't have the right business plan, you didn't scope out everybody else and figure out, hey, where where do I fit in this community? Is there is there already somebody down the street who's doing the same thing that I'm doing? I don't have enough capital in my reserves in my bank account. So like this constant thumb in your eye, like every single day, you'll you'll lose that joy real fast, and eventually people are like, I give up, I can't do this anymore. This was my love, I love detailing, but I can't like have the landlord keep coming in and you know, threatening to shut me down or whatever. So that I feel like that happens a lot. I'm sure you see it. Oh, it happened to me. I mean, for years, the first two or three years we were open were, was such a struggle that, I mean, I had every day, I was like, why am I doing this? You know, but we stuck it out. We knew that we had what it take took to make it successful. It just took back then anyway. I mean, the tools that are available now, uh, to people to be successful are so unbelievably abundant, uh, not just on the internet, but the books that are out, um, the training programs that are available. Um, there's no reason why somebody who really, really wants it shouldn't be able to be successful as long as they have the actual smarts to run a business and the skills to be a good detailer. No doubt about it. So like going on that, what do you do in terms of like, how do you train your guy? Somebody walks off the street. How do you train him? Or do you only grab people who have education? And what would you recommend if somebody wants to get into the business and start their own business? How, train, you know, how, how do they become educated in all these respects, detailing plus, you know, running a business? It's funny. This is something you and me have spoken about since we first met. And it's just training, 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 training. You're never, ever going to know everything in this business. Everything's constantly changing. And it used to be that there weren't any places to get trained. 
uh, back when I opened in 93. Now there are places, I mean, doing some research, you and me have spoken about um, some things that are happening in the business right now with places that are going to be available to be doing training. And um, I've been, been lucky that I've been surrounded in the last 10 or 12 people with the best of the best. Um, I was lucky enough to do some work with uh, Ron Ketchum. I don't know if you know Ron. I uh, was with Automotive International down in Cincinnati. I went down and spent uh, three to five days. I can't remember how long exactly it was. And Ron's a guy who, I mean, he does all the troubleshooting in the auto factories on paint, interiors, and you just couldn't find a guy. I mean, Ron's a guy that would bore you to death with just technical knowledge. Um, That's what you need, though. You need exactly. somebody to pound you with all that. Yeah, he is the guy that has the most technical knowledge I've ever met. And when you can be surrounded by people like that and learn the things that they can teach you, um, and then just surrounding yourself with the other people that are the best of the best in the industry, people like yourself, uh, Greg from uh, Greg Sweat from Classic Appreciation, Jim Lefebvre from Dr. Beasley's and uh, Simon Shine Shop in Chicago. Um, there's so many guys in this business that are just incredible, talented business people and detailers that, you know, if you can network with these people, the, the things you'll be able to learn just from other people in the business, if you're lucky enough to be able to meet them, um, is unbelievable. That's but, so true nowadays, especially with social media and everything. That's actually part of of doing business. It, you know, if, if imagine you had a, a detail shop and you didn't have a Facebook page or you didn't have a website. It's like right. it's like it's almost like not having a phone number now. It's like yeah. you can't run your you can't run your business. That's such a huge part of I know both our business and we've spent so much time collectively. Uh, talking about just the branding that we put into both our businesses. It's actually the first thing we, we talked about. That, that, that is true. That is absolutely true. And the other thing is I, I'm secretly scouting uh, Scotty to come down for my, my dream training facility at some point, and you know, that would be the big draw. Come see Scotty and learn from his – I'm doing this on air right now. I'm putting pressure on you. What do you think? You coming down? <laughs> yeah, you know what? <laughs> You know, I came down for your uh, for your other event. I'd oh, like that's to- that's right, that's right. Yeah, so I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give credit where credit is due here. You drove down. How many miles was it for that? Oh, jeez. Uh, well, we work in kilometers, so I think it was about 850 kilometers, probably about 500, 600 miles. It was a it, it was a nine hour drive, I think. Nine my- hour drive came all the way down for our big. Um, every year we put on a big, uh, you know sort of thank you party and and it's for all the crazy fans and the people who have supported us and all that. So we did that in New York city, um, down at the classic car club in Manhattan and it was huge and it was amazing. And, uh, Jalopnik was involved and the CCC guys are just amazing. And, but the point of the story is you drove all the way down, uh, helped me set up and, and, and did things, you know, of that nature and, and, you know, blocked the door and made sure the right people got in. So that was really awesome of you. I appreciate it. Time. I mean, I was. It was fun to be able to be involved with. uh, Like I say, when we've met, um, the reason I'd actually seen your videos, and I don't commonly introduce myself to people I don't know, uh, but when we met, I'd seen your videos. I knew the quality of uh, of what you were doing, and you know the way you were setting up your company. So it was exciting for me to see, you know, everything that you were doing and putting together such an incredible event. I mean, you're really doing the right things. No, it was it was good. A lot of people, you know, it certainly wasn't just me. A lot of people have been helping me out, and including yourself. So I appreciate that. But I think the bigger thing is, 
you know, like you mentioned before, you know, someone like yourself, um, you know, Greg and um, Dr. Beasley, you know, all the, all these guys uh, coming together. It, when you put, when you associate yourself with them and, and get around good guys who have been in the business, who are great detailers, but are also good or great business people, that's when you really kind of go to the next level. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. Put yourself in a, surround yourself with the right people. I'm sure um, maybe guys listening to this podcast, oh, I heard that in, in fifth grade, you know, don't surround yourself with bad, you know, people or whatever. That's so true. And, you know, even when you get out and you're in the, the real world, so to speak. So I, I've learned a ton from you and a ton from, uh, from Greg as well. So very cool. Um, I'm going but, down the list here. What else? Uh, touched upon what you said though, but the training thing is, is huge. Yeah. For and sure. I didn't want to really pop what you were doing with your training thing, but when, once that's available, I mean, that is going to be such an unbelievable opportunity for people to get the proper knowledge. Um, yeah. because this hasn't been something like that out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's something I've wanted to do for, for a, a long time. And I don't know, I, I did, I guess we'll go off on a tangent. I did a, um, I don't know if you saw it on Facebook yet, but I did a, uh, a little training seminar kind of thing. Um, but it was at a, a Porsche museum in Brookfield, Connecticut on Saturday. And it, did. I saw he, it was awesome, right? The guy was super cool. Um, uh, his name is Dr. Gish. He's a really great dentist, but he has this amazing Porsche museum. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's really a museum and it looks just like a home and it's in the middle of like homes it's not like on a it's very deceiving so when you walk in you're like oh oh my gosh there's like priceless things on the wall every like racing suit from porsche and you know brumos porsche and uh he has almost every model uh short of you know the carrera gt and uh you know some 917s or some something crazy he has every porsche model like a 356a 356c uh b a 356c all the way through um the 996 turbo so he goes but he goes through and explains every single nuance and what porsche was thinking when they went from you know the 964 to the 993 or whatever so it was really fun to hear him kind of go through all that but anyways we did a training seminar afterwards and it was i almost fell over i was so you know like humbled i was like i couldn't believe how many people showed up from like people came from new hampshire from atlantic city from pennsylvania just uh and i didn't honestly it was just i didn't we had catered food i just wanted to have a good time and my wife was there and my in-laws and you know were there it was just kind of fun thing but people were like really into the detailing and it made me kind of fired me up again to say hey you know it's it's fun to, to teach people and, and get people you know all excited about detailing and the business side so we kind of I answered a lot of questions and I, I felt like that's my zone. But anyways, um, not to get too, uh, too deep into that. It's, it's still on its way, but I'm looking at one of the last notes. Um, and it says, uh, acquire business skills necessary to manage and properly run the business. Can you elaborate on that? Or, uh, did we hammer well, that home? We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, the business side, uh, the accounting skills, you know, running your, uh, point of sale software, uh, managing your email marketing aspect of the business. I mean, that takes up as I'm sure you would testify so much time now managing your social media, planning and executing your marketing strategies, um, all your advertising. It's very, very difficult staying on top of all that stuff and 
it takes a long time to learn. No, there's no doubt about that. I, if, I, if I'm thinking now, the best piece of advice that I, I can give is get a good accountant. No, you know what? Scratch that. Get a ridiculously good accountant. Exactly. You're going to pay – you're probably going to pay more than you want to, but – that guy is the lifeblood, and you need to learn from him. You need to ask questions. So I've gotten to the stage now where I've taken, I've taken over the accounting myself. So I do all of my QuickBooks. I prepare all of my quarterly taxes. However, I send it to him to review it. Now, this, this is going to be – I'm going off on another tangent here because I get excited about these things. But same thing when you interact with a CPA as when you uh, interact with a lawyer. What I've been taught and trained – and I'm getting trained every single day, and I, I'm reading and doing all these sort of things, is when you go to these professionals, you need to go to them with a, uh, an idea of where you are or a plan or um, almost, almost have it done. I don't know how to say it the right way. So my, account, my accountant, um, when I go to him, I have all my books done. I have it all squared away. I'm ready with questions. I say, hey, you know, what about this number, and what about the deductions here, and how do I move this around? And I want him to go like, nope, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, you can do that. Hey, that's a great idea. So it, it gives you a position of power. It shows your maturity in business when you go, especially to a lawyer, by the way, because they charge you by the hour. When you go there, you don't just say, hey, uh, you know, I have a, you know, an issue with this and this and that, and I haven't really re- researched it, and I don't really know. So what do you think? He's going to sit there for an hour and tell you everything you want to know, and you're paying $500 an hour. So when I go to him or anyone and I say, hey, I want to do this, this, and this. I want to set up an LLC. I want to do this. It's all done. It's all squared away. Can you double-check this? Make sure it's right. Give me some pointers and then you know, put your legal stamp on it, so to speak, you know, figuratively speaking, or your CPA stamp on it. Make sure it's good before it goes to the state. That's, that's, uh, that's something I think people should strive for, and I'm still trying to do that. So when I walk in there, the, the accountant knows, hey, or the lawyer knows, hey, this guy's not messing around. He knows exactly what he wants, what he's doing, and I'm providing a service as opposed to holding his hand through every single step. Is that you? You agree or disagree with that sort of methodology? Oh, for sure. I mean, I exactly what you say. I never want to pay exactly what I pay, for, and I don't even want to get into how much we we spend with our accountant because we're. Uh, are you incorporated? Of course. Yep. Yeah, so I'm an incorporated company, and of course, uh, I'm not sure how that works in the U.S., but here I have to file yearly year ends for my corporation, mm-hmm. which is several thousand dollars to begin with. Um, and then on top of that, I pay my accountant to manage my book work to make sure everything is squared away properly. Um, we do part of that at the shop. Um, I manage that, but I want to make sure that my books are completely compliant with all the correct laws and whatnot. So the accountant goes through everything every month and makes sure that everything is posted to the right accounts and whatnot. And it's expensive, but it's the best money you could possibly ever spend. Well, there's no doubt about it. And if you think about it, this brings up a good point too, is you and I, um, just to lay the cards on the table, run a different business. Meaning you, you got five guys, you have a shop, you guys are cranking all day long and you know, you moving cars and, doing high-end details, you know, dealership details. You guys are cranking it out. So in terms of an accountant standpoint, I wouldn't want to take over all those books. I w- I'd want to be really, really good and know what's going on, but I might have a bookkeeper because that you guys have lots of inputting, if that makes sense. On my side, I sort of, you know what I do. I specialize in the, you know, the crazy high-end whatever. So I'm not, I don't have the volume, so I can, I can input that. And then I hope people recognize I'm not saying – if you're doing 5,000 transactions a day, like, you know, uh, uh, 
a drive-through car wash or whatever. That would be murderous that, to do that yourself and be the business owner. I don't know if you could do both of those. So that's a, that's a great point that I think you, you touched upon there. It's pretty labor-intensive, that's for sure. Oh, no doubt about it. It took me like two years just to figure out like the real inner workings of how QuickBooks, like setting up QuickBooks and all that. I know we're spending a lot of time talking about that, but at, that if I could pick one piece of advice, I would say I would read every CPA book, not CPA book, but accounting book, even accounting for dummies. I mean, know yeah. what accrual versus not and, uh, you know, uh, how to set up the accounts and the, your chart of accounts. And I'm sure some people are like, whoa, whoa, this is overwhelming. You notice how we talked about – this is a detailing podcast, and we've been talking about almost next to not nothing in terms of detailing. We're talking about running an actual business. I think in some respects learning how to do the steps and is very complicated, but it's it's almost a smaller portion compared to, hey, how do, how do I make this – this thing I'm really good at and passionate about, how do I make it profitable so I can support my family and my life and, you know, grow the business and, and be a happy person instead of miserable, like, ah, oh, I haven't made payroll today, that kind of thing. So, um, I hope, I'm hoping I'm encouraging people. I think hopefully you and I are both encouraging people, but, uh, making, I think it's our obligation to keep their eyes wide open. Is that, you know, is that Absolutely. Fair yeah. I think that's being realistic with what you're going to be faced with when you get into this, because I mean, I went into this and I thought I knew what I was in for and I had no idea what I was in for. For sure. You so. don't want somebody just telling you you're going to be great. You know, that's great. You know, that's what you want your family to tell you, but you want somebody to come in. I know I do. I want somebody to come in and I have somebody that does it for me and I'm very, very grateful to, uh, to her and she comes in and she beats me up and it's great. Because when I'm done with that workout, I'm like, oh my gosh, I get it. Like, I understand this. And so, you know, my, my financial and business acumen is going through the roof because, uh, you know, the numbers, measuring the numbers proves it. It's not, enthusiasm only takes you so far. And I think the numbers will prove otherwise. Um, so you can be having tons and tons of fun, but you may not be making any money. And, and at the end of the day, you know, like I said a thousand times, if you're not making money in the business, you're going to, it just, it it just physically it's like uh, trying to grow and not eating any food. It, you you, you got to die. Yeah. So, um, all right. So let's let's make the. Uh, I think we hammered that home. <laughs> let's make the transition. Talk to me a little bit about um, some of the most common uh, mistakes or things that you, you think you could uh, sort of peel back. Uh, in, you know the curtain a little bit and say, hey, I did this. I would have done this differently, um, and, and give people a little bit of heads up if if they. Uh, you know, when they go into business? Um, probably the, the biggest thing, um, we touched upon already the business skills. So ultimately you have to make sure you focus on having the business skills you need to run the business. Mm-hmm. Um, with respect to things that happen during the course of running the business. And I see this constantly with guys that get into detailing is they consistently undervalue the the services that we provide. Absolutely. Just working for absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And I remember running into a guy at the mobile tech expo back in, I think it was 2004, 2005. And he'd seen something that I think he saw one of the uh, speeches I gave at the international car wash association expo or something. He, He knew who I was and he came up and introduced himself and was, you know, running into some of the problems you and I have talked about. He's like, Oh, I'm, I'm grinding out, you know, 10 hour days and I can't make any money. And we started talking about 
you know, how much he charged. And he said, well, I charge 125 or 150 bucks for a full detail. And he was in Fort Lauderdale, a fairly affluent uh, community in, in Florida. And I said, well, why are you charging $150? Number one, you're mobile. You're providing a service, ex- extra service, in my opinion. He said, yeah, but I don't have any costs. And I said, yeah, but think of it this way. These people don't have to drive to you. They don't have to waste 20 minutes to drive to you. You should be charging them extra for the convenience of that. And he just couldn't wrap his head around that. And I said, don't undervalue the fact that you're providing more to that customer by going to their home and having to drag all your equipment and products there and unpack and do the stuff in their driveway. Um, Don't undervalue what you're selling. There's also a psychological aspect to it, I believe, as well. It's a little bit more you know, philosophical, but if you, if you have two pairs of shoes and they're identical, let's call them, and one of them's $200 and one of them's $100, psychologically, you're going to say the $200 ones, it's got to look, it's got, something's got to be better with that. Right. You know, and from a business standpoint, I think fighting when you, when, you know, if you open a business and you start fighting the, uh, who's cheaper game, you're devaluing not you're not you're not only getting less physical green you know greenbacks like actual dollars you're getting less of those but you're also devaluing your brand and your company because absolutely it's just a psychological thing that's what branding and and building a company is all about so i that that's i could not agree with you anymore um that's that's a major problem in our business um the other thing i see that guys just hammer themselves into the ground on is they focus so tightly on the products that they're using and if you've ever been on any of the forums you'll see guys just arguing endlessly about this product's better than this product and this product's better than this product and they don't focus on the actual detailing skills they need to produce maximum quality i i can't agree with you anymore on that one too i this is this weekend i talked about it i said you know someone like scotty or myself or you know somebody's been doing this forever i said give me you know, short of the world's worst product, but give me any product and I'm sure that we can make that car look spectacular. And likewise, you can give the world's greatest product. It does this and this, you wipe it on and you turn your head and you do one, you know, do one backflip and the car is going to be perfectly, you know, shiny for the next five years. You know, that's my little, my little zing to, you know, products that promise too much. And they're going to have a car that doesn't look as good as ours because we have the the experience and the knowledge on how to work it. But I think people, like you say, focus so much on, you know, this special syrup that's in there that's, you know, extracted from the moon. And it's like all these crazy things that I'm like, yeah, it doesn't I mean, work that way. It doesn't, there's it doesn't. a lot of hype and marketing involved in that. And I mean, if you just use a good product, I mean, your products are a good example. I'm familiar with your product line and I've used your products at my shop um, and they're great products. Um, there's a lot of great products out there, though. Absolutely. There, Personally, I, I like your products. They're good products, and I would highly recommend them to anybody who wants to try a really good product. But there's stuff out there where guys are trying to, you know, market a thousand dollar can of wax. I, 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 ad- I actually secretly admire that because I think it's like it's genius. It's genius. They have like steel balls to do that. I'm sorry. It's like it's like good for you. You know, I, you know, I see all these people like hating. I, how can you possibly hate? Hey, listen. There's my mom always said. There's a there's an ass for every chair. You know what I mean? There, yep. There's it, I I hey, listen. I we both know, and as soon as the podcast goes off, we'll laugh about it and say the same exact thing. I promise you that you and I would never buy that because we both know what it takes to make it, and and 
what to make a good car, a thousand dollar wax isn't going to make really a difference uh, in my opinion. Um, you have to do the prep work beforehand, but that's a whole other topic. But, um, I'm not going to like poo on this guy or, you know what I mean? I think it's great. Awesome. If you can get it and people are willing to pay it and they're happy, use it. I think, I think you and I were in the same room we, we were talking about talking to Mike, Mike Phillips about, um, some other things and and he's he made a great quote and i i still use it and i always give him a little shout out for it but it's use what you're comfortable with but use it often and right. i i was like dude i'm totally stealing that that is great and he's like oh yeah just yeah that's totally you know whatever so and i i i, I can't agree with that one uh anymore either it, it's a brilliant saying that sums up everything there's no miracle product and i will say mine Mine, thank you for all those kind words, but mine is not a miracle product either. Neither is Adam's, neither is Dr. Beasley's, neither is McGuire's. We're all dealing with the same kind of thing. Yes, some work better this way, some work, you know, it's a combination of techniques and being comfortable and being happy. And I think if you focus so much energy on this is the world's greatest product and not focus on, hey, how do I actually apply it right? Or am I doing the prep work that's needed to apply it right? And so all the little things behind it, I think you're right. You know, people just really go way overboard. If it costs a thousand dollars for this wax, then it must be, you know, taken from, you know, the stars and the moon. And it's like, really? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I just, it drives me absolutely bonkers listening to some of these guys carry on about, you know, this wax is better than that wax. And I've got 18 layers of wax on this and I've done that. I've done that. It's, you know, well, I got, I try to stay off the forms. It really makes me, it makes me sad because I, I, you want to help. I want, but I don't want to get into like an argument. Argument because, at the end of the day, if that wax works better, for you know Joe Blow or whatever, who am I to argue whether it doesn't? So that's why I feel like, how am I to go back into this guy and say, hey, that isn't the best wax. If it's the best wax to you, we're talking about a subjective, you know, topic. There is no best wax. Exactly. It's exactly. whatever you think is the best wax is the best wax. I mean. Some are better than others, I guess, in, in our professional opinions, but I, I don't know. That's why sometimes I kind of back away from forums because I just don't want to get into the argument. How can I argue with you what your favorite color is? That's, yeah. that's my, my theory. Like, it's I, easy to get sucked into a, a circle of logic with some of these guys where it'll just go round and round. There's no end to the conversation. And it yeah, just, I just want to go on the forums and learn, and if I can contribute and help, great, but I'm not going to you know, argue about your favorite color. But anyways um, – what else do you think in here? Oh, uh, the other thing I was going to make a point of is most – I see a lot of guys that get into this and they would never, ever work for somebody else for what they'll accept from themselves. And I don't know if that makes sense the way I said that. But when you would go to work for somebody else, you'd expect a certain amount of pay for mm-hmm. the effort you put through and the amount of skill you're carrying into the job. And you'd want you know, to have vacation time and benefits and – hopefully some retirement planning. And I literally have seen guys. I remember a guy called me. Now, this is a long time ago. And he called and we had talked somewhere. I think it was on a forum. And he just couldn't wrap his head around me saying that. And I said, you wouldn't work for somebody else. And he was making, I mean, he'd been in business for a long time too. I think it was eight or 10 years. And he couldn't get his head around the fact that I was telling him he had to charge more and he needed to make sure he was going to pay himself and he had a family as much as he would make if he got a job just working for somebody else. So making sure that he had time for himself 
to have at least a little bit of time off every year. And then he had money put away for, you know, his kids' education and his retirement planning and that he had adequate medical benefits. I know that's a huge issue in the United States. We're lucky enough in Canada that we have universal health care. But even on top of that, we still have drug benefits and whatnot that are important and whatnot that we have to pay for. Um, You should expect all that stuff from yourself, from your company, if you want to get into this as a business. That those are things you should be saying to yourself, okay, how much money am I making per hour? Because I'm sure you would agree, how many hours do we end up working a week? Insane. Uh, I mean, the day doesn't end at 5 o'clock. You know, I'll, I'll, I've had employees before where I've had a, a customer come in and said, who's this Scotty guy? I sent him an email when I got off work at 2 in the morning and he emailed me back within three minutes. I couldn't believe it. That's when you and I email each other. Yeah, and <laughs> I've had staff members that never believed me that I said, you know, I'm working 24-7. And I'm doing stuff sometimes at 2 in the morning, uh, planning things out, doing social media, doing planning for things that I want to implement in the shop down the road. Um, and it, it's not a 9-to-5 job, and I may work 20 hours a week outside of the average workday on top of and, – and you have to make sure that you factor that in when you Especially take Especially to the business plan too. That, that, that peels back to the business plan. Remember when we said – a lot of people forget to put that in there and it's two to three times more expensive because the point that you're making, that's like business, you know, 501. It's not even 101. That's like a, that's a really great point that you're bringing up. And I have to say that I'm somewhat guilty of that. Of course, I have the important things, the retirement plan. I have my benefits. My wife has a great job. So I have, you know, insurance and things like that. But, you know, I, I'm sure you're somewhat guilty. Like, Absolutely. You know, I probably work too hard. We don't take vacations. I should spend more time with my wife. Ironically, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. It is now 9.44 p.m. and my wife's sitting downstairs, probably not thrilled at the fact that I'm sitting upstairs and still on the phone with you at 10 o'clock at night. How many so, times has that happened? You know, that is that is the problem. You and I, you know, offline, you know, you'll hear me go like, I got to go, man. I'm getting in trouble. I got to I can't be in front of the computer anymore. But, yeah, that that's really uh, – that's a very, very smart um, – well, it's, it's, it just comes down to what you're making out of your business. I mean, I've had guys where I've known they've done fairly well in terms of what they pay themselves. But if you factor in how many hours they work to actually get that money, they're probably not really making that much an hour. Yeah, there's a running joke in, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's a joke, but it's in all these books that I read and it, it pops up again. Maybe it's a uh, just a saying or something. But if I were to pay you $5 million, right, $5 million a year, but you had to work. 24 hours a day, would you do it? And most people go, like, oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. It doesn't make sense. Okay, I say, okay, okay, okay. What if I paid you $4 million, but you had to work 20 hours a day? People go like, mm, no, 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 I couldn't do that. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll pay you $3 million, but you got to work 18 hours a day. And most people go like, well, wait a second. That's a lot of money. Unfortunately, physically, it's, it may sound great, and you may be able to do it for a month or two or whatever, but you. But the only way you could get the, the point of the story is the only way you could get it is if you actually didn't miss one day of work or whatever. No, you can't physically do it. It does. So to your point, you have to give your brain some downtime, and the downtime isn't just sleeping in bed for six hours kind of thing. So you have to actually factor that into the business as well. So it's a good point for sure. All right. Um, Another question for you. I, my last one is: What are some of the um, common customer issues that you've that you've sort of come through, you know, or seen over the years? I've been really lucky. I'm not sure if it's been this way with you with your business, and I, I think it probably is that 
I don't really have a lot of customer issues with respect to the work we do um, just because we put so much effort into double checking and triple checking everything we do. But the biggest problems with customers that I encounter is that people just aren't educated about what detailing is and what it entails. And because there's so many guys that are doing this, you could go to five different shops and get a completely different expl- different explanation at all of them about what's included in, say, an interior shampoo. And even what an interior shampoo is. One guy, it might be just running a vacuum through a car and a little spot shampoo here and there. Or at my shop, an interior shampoo is a full-blown, we clean every single button, dash, center console, ashtray, cup holder, all the vinyl, leather seats, seats, carpets, floor mats. Everything's properly cleaned, scrubbed, extracted. Um, So, I mean, that's difficult, dealing with customer perceptions. And then pricing. I mean, everybody's perception of what's fair with pricing is different. Do people come to you? I mean, I mean, earlier in my career, they'd want to, you know, you'd see something on the wall and it would say service XYZ was a hundred dollars. Let's call it. And then they'll come in and say, how about we do it for 75? Do you ever get customers that come in and say something like that or no? Oh yeah. We, we, I've had people that'll say, you know what? So we, we always do an inspection on every vehicle. We, we, that, that should be number one. I, you know what? I'm going to vote that as number one or number two thing that you need to do in business. Make sure you inspect that vehicle before yeah. you put your foot in the mouth and say, oh, it's $100. And then you find you open it, the trunk and there's a, you know, there's a dead raccoon in the backseat or something crazy. You're like, ah, yeah. what am I supposed to do? You can't accurately price something without seeing what it is. I mean, you wouldn't have doctors trying to give diagnosis on what's wrong with somebody without actually doing an inspection and talking to the person, right? And it's the same thing with our business. It's being diagnostic, looking at what's wrong with a vehicle, and then looking at what steps you're going to have to take in order to correct it and how long that'll take and then basing your pricing off that. Um, so we, we get lots of people in that, you know, interiors seems to be the one that's the biggest sticking point where people just don't want to pay. So And I can fully appreciate that where someone that just doesn't keep their vehicle very clean will say, okay, I realize I need an interior shampoo to make this look right, but I really only want to spend 50 bucks today. Yeah. Do what you can for 50 bucks. And early on in my detailing career, we tried to do that for people where you'd say, okay, 50 bucks is an hour and 15 minutes of work. Put a guy on it and go. But what happens when you kind of run out of time and it still doesn't look good? No, no. The best piece of advice I ever got was you either do it for free or you do it full price. That's it. There's nothing yeah. in between. And I, I've lived by that for at least the last couple of years. But in the beginning, I'd say, okay, like you said, 50 bucks, and I'd try to do the best I could. And then when you got to that or that point in time, whatever it was, where you're like, okay, I'm now, I'm now not profitable, and you looked at the car, you're like, how the hell am I supposed to give this back to a customer? You know what I mean? My reputation's on the line here, so what would you do? You would go back in, and you'd revacuum your shampoo or whatever the service that you were doing, and you would now be at a loss for this car but your reputation would be saved. Exactly. And that, and that's a big problem with with doing the wholesale side of the business with dealers, right? Where they'll say this is the price point we want to be at and I know I've seen some absolutely idiotic numbers with what guys are doing stuff for. It's not quite as bad where I am, but I've seen some guys in the states where they're saying, you know, people are doing full details for 40 bucks. I mean, how could you possibly do a credible job on a car? For those kind of prices, it's like five dollars an hour without without yeah. any labor, without any uh, you know utilities any other, or yeah. Once you factor in your fixed costs, I mean, 
I, I know what my break-even point is, and I have an hourly rate. And that's another good point I actually didn't bring up is what, what's your hourly rate? And if you ask most guys in the detailing business what their hourly rate is, they'll be like, I don't know, I don't know, whatever I charge. How did, yeah. you come up, how did you come up with your prices? Well, I looked at what this guy was charging, and I marked it down 10 bucks. Oh, don't. Whatever you do, if you're listening, again, I keep saying the only piece of advice, but this is a really good piece of advice. Don't, don't get into that game. Don't go down the street, see you know, ABC a car wash and your XYZ car wash, and if they're charging $100, you charge $95. do not get into that oh, yeah. game. We've got a guy in my city right now, literally his website, if you go to his website, he copied every single thing off my website, almost word for word, changed the names of the packages and lowered all the prices, 10 bucks. That's, that's, that's a losing game for everybody. Well, like, I just, I don't understand it because my costs for my business might not have any reality with respect to what he's paying for his. So how can you base your pricing based off what I'm doing when, you know, my rent might be half what he's paying? What if he's paying $2,000 or more for rent? How can you try and work your pricing based on what I'm basing my shop on? Yeah, and that all kind of – it's a nice way to tie this whole thing together is if you haven't really um, measured the numbers, meaning it done the business plan and really on top of the accounting and checking the numbers and rechecking it, you can only price something once you know what your cost is. I Personally, as, as a businessman, that's what I think. I don't just go, hey, I'm going to charge XYZ dollars. It's like, well – how do I do that if I don't know what my costs are? Maybe my costs are X, Y, Z plus five. So I'm giving a customer five dollars. I mean, that's a, a goofy example, but how can you, how can, how do you do that? I just don't understand. So I think a lot of people go, I want to get in the business. I want to open up a shop. I want to charge $5 less than the guy down the street. And you don't have a clue, like you said, as to what this guy's paying. Maybe someone like you, maybe you own your building. Maybe your building was you know, the, 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 the competition, uh, you know, his building was given to him by his great grandfather and he doesn't have to pay. You know what I mean? So it's very hard to play that game. And I just, oh man, I would stay away from that real fast. Well, I think a lot of guys do it because they're willing themselves when, it, when you open a lot of these guys and it, did you open, was it just you? Uh, what do you mean in terms of employees or yeah, like, did you have staff when you first opened or was it just you? No. When I first opened and my, my first car wash, well, when I first opened my own business, because I worked for somebody in the beginning, uh, taking care of a collection or whatever, and wanted to go off on my own. But when I first opened, I had one, two, I had two guys, two full-time guys, and then like a weekend warrior kind of guy for the crazy, you know, onslaught of, you know, weekend washes and things like that. So I started with two guys right off the bat. The point I was trying to make is I know a lot of these are single-man operations where they open up and they're just willing to work for less themselves. They have very little expenses. They don't have staff. so And that's where they get themselves into real problems where you can do that and you can say, you know what? Yeah, I'm willing to work for less in order to make the numbers work. But when you bring in an employee and you all of a sudden have to adhere to labor law and there are minimum standards with what you have to pay people just by law. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, here where I am, the minimum wage is 1025. Oh, so man. when you yeah, factor that's... in... Um, you know, all the other costs that are inherent with employing someone, usually the formula is you multiply whatever you're paying somebody by one, 1.35, which here that comes out to just shy of 14 bucks an hour. So that's average what it costs me for the cheapest employee I can get. The numbers don't work anymore if you're kind of basing your pricing off of, well, I'm only charging out paying myself 10 bucks. You can do that with yourself, but you can't do that with an employee. You have to pay them. And all the costs that are involved, what it costs at minimum wage. No doubt about it. I mean, it's much easier to bring the to 
lower your prices, but it's in, it's very hard to raise your prices. Yeah, so you just can't do it in this business. I've seen it happen so many times where guys come in cheap and then they never ever can get their prices back up. The best the best uh, way it's ever been uh, explained to me with respect to going cheap is when you go cheap, you just rent your customers because as soon as somebody else comes around. The people you attract by being cheap are usually the people who are not going to be loyal to you and they just move on to the next customer. I like that. So you just rent those people as as customers until somebody else takes them away from you who is cheaper. That's a great saying. That's That really hits home. Well, it's scary too. I mean, I'm sure you were there and I was there. We had a couple of really rough years um, where, you know, when you don't have any work, it's really tempting where somebody walks in off the street and says, you know what? Hey, I'll give you 50 bucks to shampoo my car and you're standing there with nothing to do, right? Because at least then you're getting some cash in. But when you really think about it, would you rather spend the time that you're doing that car at a loss and you are doing it as a loss? Or would you rather go out and spend that time as an investment, finding a customer who will pay you to do the job properly? That's how you build a business. Wow. I totally agree. That, that's, a great, that's a great saying. Now, now I'm going to have a Mike Phillips saying, and now I'm going to have a Scotty Shineshop uh, saying. Oh, I'm full of good sayings. <laughs> yeah, you're full of something. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. This is a ton of information. We're I don't even know where we're at. We're at like 45 minutes or an hour. Oh. And you uh, certainly kicked butt. I appreciate it. We're going to have you on again, um, maybe talking about some IDA things, uh, International Detailing Association, to see how that's going, um, and, and keep up with you from time to time for sure. Um Give me a little. Uh, give me. Give me some plugs or whatever. Give the, your location, your web address, all that stuff. Obviously, we're in London, Ontario, Canada, the center of the universe. Uh, <laughs> you know it. You know you're coming down here at some point. I know. I got to get there. Um, well, you're going to bring your Porsche down, and you and me will have a little uh, drive through the scenic uh, Ontario countryside. Oh, are you going to say a race? Because I would lose miserably to your beast. What, your car is way faster than mine. Uh, probably, but you know, with the street <laughs> racing laws we have here, there is no racing. So, oh. <laughs> um, the uh, website address for our shop is www.shineshop.ca. Uh, if you need to get a hold of me or you have any questions, you can email me at info@shineshop.ca, and that'll go directly to me, and I will try and answer anything if anybody has anything they want to ask. So, that is that's very generous. I think. Uh, I think you might be seeing some some emails from that, of course. And uh, the other thing is I'm going to be asking uh, Scotty uh, live on this podcast. So you, are you prepared? Uh, we've been doing um, – Scotty, we're going to be doing some uh, Google Hangouts. So uh, I'm, I'm going to mention it in the, the first, uh, first and last part of these, this podcast. But every week I talk about uh, gathering some email addresses. And a lot of people actually said, hey, man, I'm really interested, but I want to do a Google Hangout and have people be able to see, uh, you know, me and you. But I, I'd like to – put together a little panel remember we talked about it before maybe we'll get um greg involved and and you and a couple of other the uh the premier detailers and have people come on and say like hey man i'm working on this and such and such or i'm having this issue with a customer or what do you think about this machine or some anything like that so i want to open that up and get a little bit more uh i mean the podcast is fun but uh, in some respects i want to be able to reach out and 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 touch somebody and be able to see what them and see their expressions so we might be doing that so you're doing that as well. You didn't know that, but you are. I'm all for it. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, like you said, if you have any questions about business, feel free to, uh, to shoot, shoot him an email. Check out his, uh, his website. It's, it's pretty killer, and you can see how a really good website is done for uh, an amazing shop. So once again, thank you, and uh, we'll be in touch soon, bud. Thanks, Larry. Have a, thanks for having me on, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. 
All right, man. I'll catch up with you soon. Wow. That was a lot of information and we barely scratched the surface. So I'm really excited to have Scotty back on. Uh, I think uh, we all can agree that he really gave some uh, interesting insights into uh, how businesses are run and just things to think about if you decide to get into the business. It's not uh, good, bad, or ugly, as we say. It's just, it is what it is. And um, I think if you sort of hide under a rock, so to speak, um, you won't actually see these things coming. So it's good to talk about them. Sometimes they're uncomfortable and sometimes uh, there's something you don't want to do, but that's just the life of an entrepreneur and life of a business guy. So uh, kudos to uh, to Scotty because he's the man. All right. So everybody knows at the end of the podcast, we take a question from my Facebook page, facebook.com slash NYC. Today we are picking, see if I can say it right, ready for my my accent, Bernardo. You like that? Bernardo Pierrick um, just sent me a question eight hours ago, and it says, and it reads like Casey Kasem, and it, it said, I'm losing my mind now. Uh, it says, Larry, I just bought an E30 convertible BMW that's in pretty good condition. I've never owned a convertible before, and I'm trying to figure out how to best maintain uh, maintain the top and extend its life. Do you have any recommendations for convertible care? Also, uh, so that's question one. Also, the car has been uh, has been uh, repainted uh, with respect to color coat and clear coat. Should I care for this resprayed paint the same way as a new car, or is there anything else additional I should uh, take into consideration? Thank you for your help. Blah blah blah. All right. So first question. Let's take the convertible. Convertible tops are a very you know a big topic, and the broad thing that I will say because you know I just like to stay a little bit broad, and then we'll kind of chisel down a little bit further and further is don't touch a convertible top unless it needs to be touched. They're very temperamental. They have little intricacies and they're kind of a pain in the butt. So my big thing is if there's a little spot, you know, here, 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 just clean those little spots. Don't go too crazy because if you go too crazy, then you'll, you're over clean them. Meaning if it's, uh, you know, a semi dark, uh, you know, top, and you clean it too much, then that thing turns white, and then it's what we call chasing. It's sort of like the windows. When you clean one area and you miss a little spot and then you go after it, you're sort of chasing it around the window. Same kind of thing with the convertible top, in my opinion. You kind of have to be careful. So when you clean it uh, for a weekend warrior, meaning non-professional guy, you can use a toothbrush, a clean slash old toothbrush, depending on how dirty your teeth are. Just kidding. Uh, Use a uh, a toothbrush, and and it should be fine to stimulate and to kind of agitate that little stain out. Uh, you can wash it with soap and water. Uh, I've done that before many times when the whole thing is absolutely trashed and you get in there. I like to use a little fabric cleaner and mine, uh, you know, of course I have one for leather and one for fabric. I'll spray a little bit of fabric cleaner on there and, and with the use of water. If I'm going to go after it fully, I'm going to go after it fully. I mean, I'm going to put water on it and I'm going to scrub it down and, and sort of go uh, that direction. But I don't like to do that for multiple reasons. One, it's very sensitive. Two, uh, sometimes the fibers don't stick up as much as, uh, or stick up too much. And it doesn't look, it, it becomes a little like nappy at that point. So you have to be, you have to make a judgment and say, hey, is it worth me even doing this at all? Um, and then the third little kind of caveat is, I think it kind of slowly depletes the the uh, hydrophobic uh, properties that a lot of the uh, convertible tops have. Now I'm talking about one of the ones in this particular case, an E30 convertible. I can actually feel it in my hands right now. I can, I can just see it. So it's, it's, it's one that's not vinyl like an old school top, uh, which is addressed a little bit differently. You can sort of be aggressive with that and, 
um, a little, you can use stronger chemicals, I think, and you would use more leather or in my case, a lather cleaner, um, on something like that. So this one, the, uh, there's tons of stuff out there now, but the, the true blue guy that's been around forever is aerospace 303 and adds a bit of protection and, uh, hydrophobic tendencies back into that after you dry it. Uh, be careful when you're using compressed air. I'm just thinking, I'm just, I didn't even write this down. I'm just going through my Rolodex in my head. Be careful when you use compressed air. Uh, cause sometimes that line of compressed air will, will blow out everything else, but then you'll kind of not get the other areas, if that makes sense. And it, it has like this spray paint type effect where it's just like, you can, you can almost write your name in it. Um, so be careful with those. I use those a little bit on the seams. Um, you can vacuum it, but if you guys remember, or if you've seen my, uh, Bugatti video, when I talk about Alcantara, which is also a type of sort of fabric kind of kind of odd little thing, much like the convertible top, you want to sand down your, uh, your vacuum nozzle so that it doesn't scratch or pick, uh, pick up a little bit of fiber or, uh, doesn't pick up the weave and, and basically, uh, you know, cause little fibers to come out. So make sure you sand that down, but you can vacuum it. I've done that before, uh, wet vac and, and get it out of there. So, uh, a few things to think about. The last thing uh, that's just popping in my mind, don't use terry towels. Don't use terry towels. Don't use terry towels. You will get the little fiber things everywhere. You can use a microfiber. It won't move very fast, that's for sure, but you can do it. I like to do more of a mopping or um, soaking up kind of method as opposed to wiping when I'm doing a convertible top because I can feel it in my mind. I wish I could show, you know, I wish you guys could see me on camera right now. And, you know, it, it doesn't want to move. It's very sticky, but with a microfiber towel, it's not going to give you those, um, those little love balls or whatever you want to call them, the little lint balls, um, from the Terry, from the Terry towel. So, uh, that's, that's where I go with cleaning. Um, bottom line, if it's not dirty, don't clean it, try to, uh, protect it as much as possible and avoid, avoid, avoid washing it at, um, at all costs. And if, but if you got to get into it, you got to get into it. All right. Question number two, also, clear code, should I be straight? Okay. Um, the question he's basically asking is, hey, I just bought this car and it got repainted. Um, do I need to do anything differently? Well, the first question is, when it was it repainted? Um, so we're going to play two scenarios here because I don't know what scenario he's talking about. So we'll answer both of them. The first one, it just got repainted uh, X uh, less than 30 days or less than 60 days, meaning so it could be the first day or all the way up to 60 days. Um, if it's in that time period, you cannot put sealant, waxes, coatings, anything on there. And I almost recommend, and I tell people to do it, but OCD kicks in and they don't do it. Don't wash it. Don't look at it. Don't even do anything. If you can try to keep it under wraps as much as possible, meaning in the garage or whatever. I know that's counter to everything I'm saying, but, um, sometimes it's the smarter thing to do because, uh, when you get in there, the paint sometimes can be soft. Again, I'm using general terms here because I don't know what reducer he had on the, there's many, uh, factors that can change, but the moral of the story is from one to 60 days, really 90 days, but technically 60 days. Um, you want to be so careful not to scratch the paint. You don't want to start buffing. You don't want to start playing with anything. And there's also something called gassing. So when you're painting the car, uh, there's, Again, I'm going to be super general. There's chemicals that are used to reduce the paint so it comes through the gun, uh, the spray gun, you know, the, the body shop spray gun. And those solvents or chemicals are volatile, meaning they need to evaporate. 
And when you put clear coat on top of something, you've basically encapsulated it. But there's a process called gassing where those solvents are released through the clear coat, through the paint, and released into the atmosphere. That process needs to take place or there's going to be blemishes underneath. Those blemishes underneath um, are caused on occasion from people filling in. So if you were to put a coating on top of that or a sealant, something thick and strong, and fill in those little um, silos or vessels where uh, or pores uh, where this gassing is supposed to come out, you're going to cause it to, to, to back up underneath the clear coat. And sometimes there can be this like weird fogginess. So uh, that's scenario number one, meaning do the least amount of touching humanly possible because it's very soft, sensitive. It's sort of like a newborn baby. You want to really, you know, be with kick gloves. Um, and, and, you know, not that this is relevant, but when you really do have a, a newborn baby, a lot of times people do actually ask you to wear gloves. I mean, a really newborn baby because it's so susceptible to picking up germs and, and things like that. So whatever, I'm using my, uh, my analogies again. So scenario two is, uh, let's call it 60 or 90 days plus. So after that, um, the answer, the short answer is no. Do you need to do anything different because it's been repainted? It's as if it was repainted from the factory. We both know it's not the same type of thing because machines do it at, you know, what is this? BMW, machines do it at BMW versus, um, you know, Joe Bacigalua, you know, at whatever body shop. So uh, it, we've talked about this and I can't remember some episode or a podcast. You're never going to get the same, you know, no human being, not me, not the president, not anybody is going to be as consistent as a, as a, as a machine. So um, there is going to be a difference, but, uh, after 90 days, you would maintain it just like all the thousands of videos and, and, and things that I've done online. So wash it, seal it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not even going to get into it because do it the way you, you would normally do it. So good questions, uh, thought provoking some things to think about for sure. So, uh, uh, Bernardo, I appreciate that question and I'm going to shoot you an email on Facebook right now. I need to I need to keep up with those questions, but we are getting pummeled with emails. If you want to pummel me with emails, my email is larry at ammonyc.com. I apologize if it takes a little bit of time because I'm getting close to 300 emails a day, but I promise I will get to you at some point. Um, certainly ask questions, and, and um, if you want to hop on our email list and let you know where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be talking about and podcasts and all that fun stuff, uh, I, I would be grateful for that. One of the things that we talked about with Scotty is a great book, and that was The E-Myth Revisited. Um, I think it's wonderful, and it kind of opens your mind up to some of the holes that are uh, present when you're uh, running into business. Now, it doesn't really, in my mind, it doesn't really teach you, uh, you know, how to do the accounting and things, but it makes you aware enough to say, hey, there's a problem here. I need to go investigate and do that. So that's what that book's all about. I have another book here from a dear, dear, dear friend of mine um, who happens to be my mentor. Now, over the years, I am, I've always been open. This may be a really good, uh, you know, one of my favorite pieces of advice to, to you guys out here. If you made it this long, kudos to you. Um, one of the big things I like to do is get mentors. I'm crazy about that. Learn from the best. Learn from people who've done it before, people who are doing it now. And when I opened my shop, uh, this is a little personal, but when I opened up my shop uh, years ago, and I had this customer come in all the time, really cool guy, young just, I mean, a razor blade. He's sharp, man. He, this guy, this, you could just tell this guy was on his game. So he would come into me and say, Larry, you know, the, there's so much that you can be doing. Um, and I need you to, you know, expand your brain and, and think about this and think about that. You, you got so much to offer and all these like amazing things. And I'm sitting, you know, I got a dirty rag in my pocket and I'm looking at him saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I believe, I believe that. I believe that. And I, 
you know, he sort of just opened up my eyes. And this was a guy that just came into my shop. I didn't know him from Adam. He just came in because he really liked, you know, my services or whatever and detail his car and et cetera, et cetera. So I was just so inspired by this guy. And I asked him, I said, hey, you think every like three or four months, every quarter or so, can I come in and buy you breakfast and just tell you what I've been doing and have you beat me up, you know, kind of and say like, you need to do that. You need to just sort of fill my brain with all this inspiration. And he was just a positive um, guy. And it turns out we did that for years and it's been a pretty big deal to show him my progression of uh, being an entrepreneur and becoming uh really being uh, embracing business acumen I, you know i keep saying that and that is so important and and sometimes uh my excitement and passion comes through through the microphone and through the videos but at the same time you have to have um i want to call it guts or balls or whatever you want to call it to step back take the emotion out of everything that you're you're excited about cuz you guys know i'm really excited and i talk really fast cuz i love this stuff but you got to Calm down and take it out. And he's taught me to put that to the side and to look at the numbers. When you look at the numbers, I also have a wonderful person who's also a mentor, Eileen Conway. She's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I have these two masters showing me, keep the excitement, but calm down, pull it to the side and look at the numbers. Look at the metrics of what you're doing. Is it successful? Yeah, great. Why? Answer the question, why? What's pushing or pulling those numbers? Are you getting more sales here? Are you getting less sales here? Not just, hey, if I advertise in the phone book, do I get more people to come in? It's not, it doesn't work. It's, it's more engrossed. And it's, it's, it's more than I can say uh, via this, this, this avenue here, which is a podcast. But uh, suffice, it, suffice it to say, uh, they've opened my eyes. So I'm going to give uh, my full endorsement for this uh, gentleman, his name is David S. Kidder. If you go to his website, davidkidder.com, you can see him giving his speeches to um, like thousands and thousands of people. So he's wildly popular. Um, and at the time, I had no idea because he was just the guy that came to the car wash and I was, um, you know, sort of stuck in my own ways or whatever. But he also wrote a book. He also wrote lots of books, actually. He's written lots of books. And the latest one that just came out, uh, and it's unbelievable. It's like steroids for entrepreneurs. It's a wonderful thing. It's called, get a pencil. I'm going to wait five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Get a pen. The Startup Playbook. You have to get it. It's the secrets of the fastest growing startups and their founding entrepreneurs. So remember I talked about the the, um, the mentors, which he was to me. This whole book is full of mentors that he's worked with, that he's seen. I mean, big time players that can give you advice that gets your juices flowing with your brain and going like, wow, I get this. Okay. Um, remember this whole podcast and multiple podcasts, I just don't want to have one podcast designated to it is how to be profitable, how to be happy, you know, with your life and your wife and your family and your, and your, um, husband and your, whoever, uh, you know, in your life. And part of that is your, is your job as well. So it's not evil to, to want to be successful and success also translates into being profitable so that you can provide for your family, your food and clothing. And it talks a lot about that in this book and things that you need to uh, think about. So once again, it's a New York times bestseller, David S. Kidder, a uh, longtime friend and mentor of mine, the startup playbook, check it out. If you have any questions, of course, uh, I think I may have said it, but I'm going to say it again. Larry at AmmoNYC.com. Visit my Facebook page. We also have a new Instagram page, AmmoNYC simply dedicated to car photos and uh, make sure you hit me up on there and you can actually uh, send emails through there and uh, you know, we'll put your car up there 
and we just are exploding. I think we have 800 followers or something in one day. So I appreciate that, guys. We also entered in a pretty cool contest with Fast Company, and Fast Company is a magazine. I'm sure all you entrepreneurs out there have read it. It's been around for a long time, and it's uh, a really uh, valued uh, piece of entrepreneurial um, tool, if you will. Um, and so if you go to fastcompany.com slash section slash drive your business forward, uh, the contest is called Drive Your Business Forward, uh, where they give away a van, and I am a mobile detailer, uh, a van would be cool. But uh, we did not win the van, but we became the first national runner-up, which is pretty cool. So uh, that uh, still requires some voting, and we can uh, you know, win some cool prizes and things of that nature. So if you guys can go on and vote for that, I would be uh, pretty stoked about that. And I'm going to do some other plugs, and we're out of here. It's one hour and 40 minutes. Wow. I can talk for a long time. I want to thank uh, the Smoking Tire TST. If you don't know who they are, you need to get out from underneath your rock. Go to thesmokingtire.com because they're awesome. And they have an amazing podcast with uh, Zach Clapman, Matt Farah, Nino, Chris Hayes. And we're going to jump into Chris Hayes right now. Chris Hayes is shoutengine.com. That's what's making this podcast possible. And he's the man. He's done a, a ton of upgrades on this thing. He is an entrepreneur. He's a good guy. And he picks up the phone every, si- every time you call him, which is really important to me. Uh, Hooniverse.com, uh, also another uh, amazing podcast. Check them out. Visit my website, ammonyc.com. Watch the Drive channel. And uh, that's all I got. This is a long episode. I appreciate everything you guys do. And uh, you know, keep it clean, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Oh, maybe that's going to be my closer. Keep it clean. Keep it clean, Miami. Anyways, I am absolutely exhausted. It's super late at night. Love you guys. Talk to you. Bye.